When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Detectives say the 32-year-old cold case was cracked with the help from a deck of cards. On each card, a different cold case, whether it be a wanted person, a missing person, or an unsolved murder. Well, investigators say a prison inmate saw the victim's face on one of the cold case playing cards and then tipped investigators off. The Bernalillo County Sheriff's Department had the cards made up at the suggestion of a former cold case detective. I'm Tommy Ray. Cold case card program I started here in Polk County has since grown across the U.S. This is not your ordinary deck of playing cards. These cards contain 52 unsolved cases, and with every hand that's played, the stakes are unusually high. They've been dealt to inmates across the nation, and investigators are hoping their tips will stack the odds in favor of the House. Now it's your turn. These victims have been dealt an unfair hand, and it's up to you to deal justice. Somebody, somewhere, has information that could be investigators' ace in the hole. Welcome to Season 1 and Episode 10 of Dealing Justice. I'm Jennifer Dubasak. And I'm Lori Jennings. And in today's episode, we learn about the murder of Tracy Diane Nielsen. She was a 21-year-old college student at the University of Oklahoma. Tracy's murder happened on her 21st birthday, January 5th, 1981, in Moore, Oklahoma, where she shared an apartment with her husband of five months. Tracy was a beloved daughter, sister, wife, and friend. Her horrific death shocked the town of Moore, Oklahoma, and together with her family, the OSBI has worked tirelessly to find her killer. Here, Brooke Arbeitman tells us about Tracy's case and the legacy she's left behind. I am Brooke Arbeitman, and I'm the Public Information Officer at the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation. And we have a dedicated cold case unit that is working to solve cold cases in Oklahoma. One of those cases is Tracy Nielsen. She was found dead in her apartment by her newlywed husband. I think this crime at that time was probably quite impactful in that it was a young lady. She was killed violently in her apartment in an area that I I don't know that there were a lot of murders like that at that time. So in 2017, the investigative division funded the first order of 5,000 decks of playing cards. And again, in that initial phase, we featured 52 cases that were OSBI cases. Tracy Nielsen is an ace of spade in our first deck of cold case cards at the OSBI. Her case is still important to us, and we are always working to get justice for her and answers for her family. 
We would love to see the day where there are no faces to put on the cold case playing cards. But until that day comes, we will continue working with Tommy Ray and telling these stories in pursuit of dealing justice. It's time for us to solve these cases one card at a time. Help us deal justice for Tracy Nielsen. This is Episode 10, The Tracy Nielsen Case, Ace of Spades, Oklahoma Deck. This episode of Dealing Justice brings us to the state of Oklahoma, where there's a mysterious murder and more. Tracy Waterfield grew up in Canadian, Texas. It's a quiet town on the eastern side of the Texas Panhandle and close to the Oklahoma border. It's known as the Oasis of the Panhandle. Tracy's parents, Jim and Sandy Waterfield, owned a ranch and were well-respected as God-fearing, hard-working members of the Canadian community. Their three children, Rick, Tracy, and Cindy, lived an idyllic life on the ranch surrounded by nature, family, and friends. Here, her sister, Cindy Waterfield Young, tells us about life on the ranch. We were raised in a Christian home. Uh, my dad was a rancher, so we lived on um, our ranch till I was six, and uh, Tracy would have been eight, and my brother was 11. So it was uh, Tracy was the middle child. She was two years older than me. We ended up moving to town, to Canadian. So it's just a small town, probably 3,000 people. You know, just so everybody knows everybody. But it's a great town. It's just a great place to raise kids and great school. And Tracy was two years older than me, and she was um, a girly girl. I was a tomboy, kind of, and she was a girly girl. I kind of hung out more with my brother when I was, you know, when we were little, I, th- I feel like. And, but she was more girly girl and just beautiful. I mean, she had blonde hair, blue eyes, just beautiful smile, real thin, petite cute figure. I mean, just just gorgeous. She really was. We'd go on family vacations every year. and But it was funny. I mean, like, I just remember we would usually go to the beach or somewhere. And before I knew it, I would look up and there was usually guys would just come up and talk to her, you know, <laughs> just because she was so pretty, I guess. But she wasn't shy. She wasn't shy at all. But she sure wasn't loud or, or boisterous or anything either. So, no, she had a great personality. She really did. Had lots of fun growing up. I mean, I I don't ever hardly ever remember getting in a fight. I mean, we didn't fight at all, which is, I see lots of sisters nowadays, and I'm like, they fight all the time. I don't ever remember fighting with Tracy. Tracy's mom, Sandy Waterfield, recalls fond memories of her daughter growing up. She, it was so funny. She was ornery's kid. He just keeps cute as a bug, loved her, and as she said later on when uh, you grew up and everything, she and I were kind of so much. She said, Mother, you know what I'm going to say before I say it. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, really, it seems like it doesn't. <laughs> and, and as I used to tell Jim, I'm, I'm in high school, I'm away from it forever. She always told me really more than I wanted to know sometimes, you know. Really? Oh, stuff about happy good school and different ones about different ones and stuff. And I think, oh, Christ, I didn't feel bad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff. But 
she was just, she was so much fun. And really, as far as I know, everybody like loved her. And she was uh, very popular. She was very smart. She was one of those that was very talented, but she didn't have to work at it. And we were so blessed. Tracy's family clearly adored her, but they weren't the only ones. Here's Tracy's childhood friend, Tina. My name is Tina, and my maiden name was Young. I was a young when I knew Tracy. My earliest memories of Tracy are in early elementary, when we were in first, second, third grade. She was one of those people then, even at that early age, that just drew people to her. Uh, she was very pretty. I always had a big smile, and she was a lot of fun. She had lots of friends, and uh, she was very easy. She was very approachable, you know, and always always was good for a good giggle. Uh, there were times that she would go home with me. I lived in the country, and she would come home with me every once in a while, and we would play dress up in our in our little heels and go out in the pasture and um, play. We had the best time. My mom would let us get in her closet and get some clothes to play dress up in. And we'd go down to this grove of trees. And one, I remember one time there was this herd of cattle that began to chase us. Of course, they weren't really chasing us. They were just curious. But we we're in like second grade. And so we screamed and hollered and laughed till we couldn't breathe. I remember that day vividly that we had so much fun down in the trees playing dress up and with the cattle. Aww. <laughs> yeah. Those yeah. are some precious memories. Too. Yeah, we, yes, we had lots of laughs. She, she was just always so much fun. I've never met another person, unless it's her sister, Cindy, who uh, attracts people to them the way that they do. People are just attracted to them and want to be around them and want to be uh, their friend and want to have a relationship with them. So they're very special. Tracy was very special in that regard. In high school, Tracy was an athlete, a head cheerleader, and member of the student council. She graduated from Canadian High School in 1978 as a salutatorian of her class. Cindy, who was a sophomore at the time, recalls this fun and carefree time of their lives. <laughs> she was she was blonde. <laughs> she definitely had a blonde moment, I promise. <laughs> Which made it even better, you know, just because just, she'd say stuff and you'd be like, I... You're not serious, right? You know, but she would be. <laughs> and so, and just like, I can't believe <laughs> that you said that. But anyway, so she did have her blonde moments, but she was very intelligent. She was athletic. She played basketball, ran track, and was cheerleader. We actually got to be cheerleaders together my sophomore year. And she was a senior, and that was a lot of fun. She was my ride to school every morning in high school. and. She would get up and she would spend so much time on her makeup, her hair. She would change clothes probably 10 times <laughs> before figuring out the right <laughs> outfit. And, um, you know, I'd be in the car waiting, you know, so and she would time it. I mean, just perfectly. We, she had it down. We would get in the car. We would, I mean, drive, uh, you know, just floor it going up to school. And we would get there probably 30 minutes. Before the, I mean, thirty seconds before the. I was going to say thirty rang. minutes is pretty good. <laughs> thirty seconds before the party bell rang, but we would make it. Usually, make it. It was crazy. It was just a battle every morning, but she, <laughs> but she looked good. Tina tells us about Tracy during their high school years. What I think of 
for Tracy when we were in high school was bell bottoms. She always had the latest fashion. She was very trendy, and she wore the tightest jeans with the biggest bell bottoms in the school. <laughs> so, and her hair was blonde and parted right down the middle, no bangs. You know, bangs weren't cool then. And so parted right down the middle with blonde hair, and she always had lots of lip gloss on. She was concerned about lip gloss, and she chewed bubble gum. We did lots of sports. We were very sports-minded. She would run track. Now, she was very thin. And so I remember one time we were at a track meet, and the wind blows so hard here. It's just ridiculous. But she was, and she was fast. She was athletic. But she was so thin that when she came around the corner of the track, the wind literally picked her up and put her oh. off the track. <laughs> I do remember that. And she was not happy about that. She was very frustrated. But but so most of our things were sports. She was a cheerleader. I was I was not a cheerleader, so I didn't share that with her. But she was a great cheerleader. She had a lot of fun on the cheerleading squad. I think that they all had a great time. After graduation, Tracy was excited to leave her hometown of Canadian, Texas and attend college at her dad's alma mater. Oklahoma State University in Stillwater, Oklahoma. OSU was a little more than a three-hour drive from her hometown in Canadian. Here's Tracy's sister, Cindy. It's a really neat college town, you know, not real big. Dad went there and mom, and yeah, I remember she was all excited, and then she went through Rush, and she played Beta Phi. So she was in a sorority, and she made all these just great friends. I mean, just, she has so many neat friends. Here's Tracy's sorority sister and friend, Kathy. My name is Kathy, and Tracy and I, we actually met the night, uh, we both ended up at Oklahoma State um, for college, and we both went through Rush and uh, what they call press night. The night before you decide on your house, they have a really special night. And we ended up walking out of the Pi Phi house at the same time. We walked back to the dorm together. We had never met each other that whole week. And she was just the sweetest person. There was an immediate reaction to this sweet girl from Canadian, Texas, who was coming to Oklahoma, didn't know anyone. And um, by the time we got to the dorm, I got off first, and she said, okay, bye. See you at the Popeye house tomorrow. So when we both ended up there the next day, we just were instantly connected. And over the next two years, we were fast friends. She was just the sweetest, most precious friend. And she was beautiful. Well, she was beautiful inside and out, but she was had the blonde hair and the blue eyes. But the thing about Tracy is she didn't know it. She was the most humble person. She was very unassuming and she really sweet, precious friend. It was just an instant connection. And, you know, the more I talked to her, she came from a family that I felt like had the values that my family had. Um, She had grown up in the church and she had sweet parents who had been married. That was the core of her life was her family, and she was one of those people that people were just attracted to. Didn't demand that attention. She was just one of those people that you were drawn to. Kathy and Tracy were also roommates in the Pi Phi house. 
my closest time with her was really when we lived in four girl room and with two other girlfriends and just sitting on the back bed talking or doing the pie pie stuff together. It was it was really just the camaraderie of going through college life together. Here's Ricky, also a sorority sister, roommate, and friend of Tracy's during her college years. Uh, my name is Ricky Pittman, and in college it was Ricky Norgar, but it's Ricky Pittman now. And I got to know Tracy at Oklahoma State. Uh, we were in the same sorority, Pi Beta Five. We were in the same pledge class, and you join a sorority. Then you have a bond in my pledge class. There was like 50 of us. So we already had immediate friends because none of us 50 girls knew each other before, usually. You might have known one or two. So it just throws you in with a group of girls that can be your friends, can be your confidants, that, you know, you go to class and you say, oh, there's another pie side. And then you all live together. Tracy and I roomed together our sophomore year. We were on the third floor of our sorority, and we were in a small four-girl room. And uh, Tracy and I were on the top two bunks in in our little room, and both of our beds had these stuffed animals on them. We didn't have curling irons and things. We had to do, we would go to bed with curlers in our hair. Uh, we wore goofy little bows in our hair, little bitty thin bows in our hair. I thought Tracy was probably the prettiest girl in our pledge class. She was just an, a, a natural beauty. I remember Tracy, when we lived together, seemed to be constantly writing. She wrote a lot. I think she might have had a journal, but I know that, that she wrote in her Bible. She was very religious, very very devout. She uh, also wrote letters, which is a thing of the past, to her parents. Tracy really, I know, she really had a love and respect for her family. She talked about them all the time. And she actually encouraged me (laughs) to send my parents a note of thanks and love for their support, you know, uh, during the years, even though I was from right there in Stillwater. And I got to see my parents anytime I wanted. But she stressed the importance of telling others that you loved them. And that's the type of person she was. Tracy's mom, Sandy, recalls the family's seamless transition into college life. We talked to her all the time. We uh, went up periodically, not overly, you know, not we didn't drown her because that's why we're letting her go to college. She didn't have to live with us anymore, you know. <laughs> I, it's funny, with Jim and I, we never felt that any nest syndrome because we were both busy. And we, it was at Oklahoma State University, which was Oklahoma A&M, uh, when we went to it. But all my relatives had gone up there to school. And, and we loved, you know, we loved Oklahoma State. So it was, it was a fun place for us to get to go visit her. And I guess that's one of the reasons we were so comfortable with the campus and with school. Uh, that we, we had both had such a great time there and loved it. And uh, it was it was just a good, a good feeling, you know. So Tracy clearly fit right in with her sorority sisters and life in general at OSU. But this is a funny story. So Tracy was on her way to OSU. And as any good Southern mom would do, Sandy decided to arrange a double date for Tracy and a friend. And through that, Tracy ended up meeting Jeff Nielsen. He was a pre-med student at OSU and would become her future husband. I felt like I was the luckiest guy in the world. And that's just if I had the one day. She was gorgeous. I mean, I mean, beyond gorgeous. I, I mean, she could be a goofball, but she was a smart, 
goofball. And I love that. Tracy's sister, Cindy, tells us. And she just instantly was smitten with him. I mean, I just remember always going, isn't he cute? He's so cute. (laughs) 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 The instant you meet him, you feel like you've known him, you know, forever. It it was. We were just, we could not have been happier with, with him, you know, or choosing him. So, and they just were so crazy about each other. I mean, it was, it was just really neat to see her so happy, you know, <laughs> and in love. The couple were head over heels for one another, and the two became engaged over the Christmas break of Tracy's sophomore year. I'm a senior in college. I didn't have a dime. So, of course, I had no ring. I didn't go down on any knee. But we were in the living room at their house in Canadian. I guess it was sometime during Christmas break. Yeah, there's nothing about it that I'm proud of. I had no <laughs> ring in my hand. I just said, I want, I want to marry you. And I think that's sweet. I'm pretty sure we had ordered a ring that I could afford, or maybe Sandy paid for it. I can't remember. <laughs> I know that's not, doesn't sound great, but it was great. So life is like that. Everything's not Hollywood, but life, I mean, that was absolutely a stunning time for me. Like I say, I was the luckiest guy in the world at that point, and it couldn't have been sweeter, better, and her parents couldn't have been more gracious about this ne'er-do-well who's asking their daughter to marry him. Here's Tyna again, Tracy's friend since they were young. She called to ask me to be in the wedding, and that's how I found out that she was engaged. She called to ask me to be in the wedding, and she had a, a large wedding. I can't remember how many bridesmaids, but there were lots of bridesmaids. And some of them were, some of us were from high school, and some of her friends from high school, and then some were her college friends. So it was a mix of girls, but she called and told me, and I knew she was dating Jeff, although I had not met him, and she had told me about him before, and then, and she told me that she thought he was the one, and so then the next time she said she thought he was, and then the next time I saw her, she said, he is the one, so I remember that, because I remember thinking, well, she's, that's it, she's found her guy. So anyway, so then she called and asked me to be in her wedding, which I was very excited about because, you know, she'd made new friends at college and I wasn't sure if I would be one of her bridesmaids, but she called and asked me and I was really excited and really honored. Here's Tracy's sister, Cindy. There's like eight bridesmaids and stuff. Holy cow! A lot of planning, yes. (laughs) Yeah, so, well, she just had all those friends from college and and stuff so she wanted all of them in it and uh, then high school she had several good friends from high school so um but yeah it was it was it was fun I remember going and to get her when we went and picked out her wedding dress and and stuff but yeah it was a it was a fun time special time after completing her sophomore year at Oklahoma State Tracy at just 20 years old Mary Jeff Nielsen on July 26, 1980, in her hometown of Canadian, Texas. The ceremony was at the Methodist Church, and 
you know, no holds barred. I mean, it was, you know, not crazy, but it was as good. I mean, it's as, it was as nice of a wedding as I've ever seen. Um, you know, I might be biased. I had tons of my friends there. I, it was just, it was unbelievable. She was absolutely stunning when she, when I first saw her in her dress. Um, well, Tracy's probably one of the prettiest people I've ever seen in my life. Uh, you know, I, I know that's cliche, but she actually was. And I can remember standing there thinking, who the hell are you to think you should be getting married to her? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it's crazy, but um, it, it it actually happened, and we got married, and uh, it was absolutely spectacular. The entire weekend, I'm very, very lucky to have been a part of it. Tracy's childhood friend, Tyna. Our dresses were a wine-colored dress. They were very pretty. Her wedding was formal. It was in a church. It was formal. Um it was beautiful. She had very beautiful flowers, and uh, Cindy was in it. And uh, I remember they gave us all these matching necklaces where we all wore the same necklace and the same jewelry, and it was all very special. Her mother gave us, her mother, Sandy, gave us the necklaces. It was our gift, and, and we wore them in the wedding. But And I still have my dress from her wedding. Oh. I, I just cannot part with that. So she had a bright future ahead of her with Jeff and with herself. I mean, Tracy was very intelligent. She basically had it pretty well figured out. Tracy's college friend, Ricky. Tracy was was probably my first college friend to get married because we were pretty young. So a big group of us girls um, took a road trip and we went for the weekend to celebrate Tracy and Jeff. And her parents were amazingly sweet and welcoming. And we stayed at their house all weekend during this wedding and crazy times and, and celebrated with them. I felt like the whole town was out there to celebrate Tracy and, and to welcome all of us. I mean, they were amazing. So you could tell how well-loved the Waterfields, all of them were. And, and, you know, we spent the whole weekend with her and we met her sister, Cindy, then. And then Cindy later played the sorority. Um, and Cindy was just as beautiful. She's darling, too. And... <laughs> All things we spent the day of Tracy's wedding laying out, and I have pictures of us eight girls in a hot tub in her parents' backyard on the day of her wedding. Her parents made us these fancy drinks, and we're partying in the backyard. And we all have like curlers in her hair for that night. And just back then, we did our own makeup and hair. <laughs> but I mean, she spent the day with us. She was worried about us having a wonderful time too while we were in. Canadian, Texas, on her wedding weekend, and she spent all of her time with us until getting ready for her wedding that night, and she was a beautiful bride, gorgeous, and it was was a perfect church wedding, and it was followed by a really fun reception. It was just a, it was a really fun weekend. I couldn't have been happier about the wedding, and, you know, all I really cared about was, in the end, she would be my wife, but, uh, as far as the weekend of the wedding, it was outstanding. It was just absolutely gorgeous. It was just perfect. 
Nobody could have predicted that their fairy tale world would end brutally in less than six months. Tracy and Jeff honeymooned in Colorado Springs. After returning, the couple moved from the campus at OSU to Moore, Oklahoma, to be closer to Oklahoma University, where Jeff would attend medical school. Jeff vividly remembers the move. Sandy's dad had an El Camino, which we loaded up. I mean, we looked like the Beverly Hillbillies. So we had stuff that, you know, 10 feet off the bed of that El Camino and with ropes and all kinds of stuff to head to more where we had rented. It's like HUD housing, you know, but we had rented an apartment there. And the reason I knew about that place is because friends of mine from Oklahoma, the two of them ran the place. So um, we take off with this El Camino loaded to the hill. But I remember we're going down I-40 about 70 miles an hour. And I had built a cabinet. (laughs) That thing flew out of the back. Came out of the El Camino and slid down I-40 for about 200 yards. We were sitting there laughing. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine the people behind you were like, what the? Yeah, yeah, they were. They were WTF. The young couple were enjoying the honeymoon phase of their marriage. And although they didn't have much at the time, those closest to them say they were the couple everyone wanted to be. Good looking smart, educated, and surrounded by supportive friends and family. Jeff started med school in Oklahoma City, and Tracy transferred to Oklahoma University in Norman, Oklahoma. Tracy and Jeff settled into their new place and life as Mr. and Mrs. Nielsen. I had been used to sharing about 200 square feet with five guys in our fraternity house. So it was like we had a mansion and more. (laughs) We, uh, we made a place that was com- comfy, and and I think we were happy there. And Tracy would go from Moore down to OU, and I would go from Moore up to Oklahoma City to the med school. Married just five months, the couple was getting ready to celebrate Tracy's 21st birthday. Nothing wild and crazy, just a cozy dinner at home for the two love-struck newlyweds. Now, birthdays were always special to Tracy, as her friend Tina recalls. I remember one time she had a birthday party, maybe we were in sixth or seventh grade by then, that I swear she had half the junior high girls over to her house that night for a slumber party. (laughs) And I remember that vividly because there were so many of the girls there. You know, it wasn't just a small group. Just everybody felt like they were Tracy's friend. I mean, it was it was really something special. January 5th, 1981. It's Tracy Nielsen's 21st birthday, a big milestone, and her first birthday as a married woman. As you can imagine, Tracy started her day with exciting expectations. She spoke with her grandmother, who wished her a happy birthday, and then she ran errands, including going to the grocery store in preparation for her birthday dinner that she and Jeff had planned. She also had lunch with a sorority sister scheduled and marked on her calendar. Neighbors witnessed Tracy doing chores at the apartment around noon. Friends and family tried calling her all afternoon to wish her a happy birthday, but their calls would go unanswered. And sadly, they would never be returned. Cindy remembers that day when everything was still right in the world. We had tried to call her 
several times that morning. Didn't get her. My grandmother had talked to her that morning because it was pretty big birthday, you know, it's her 21st birthday. But yeah, my grandmother had called her and she had had talked to her, I think about 10. And then the mom had tried around noon, I guess, and couldn't get her and kept trying and couldn't get her. And we just thought she was out running errands and stuff. You know, I guess they just thought, well, we'll call her this evening. <laughs> Nobody ever talked to her that day. Jeff remembers it was a Monday and his first day back to class after being on Christmas break. Tracy was not scheduled to return to class for two more days. Now, mind you, it is her birthday and I have no gift. So the minute the school ended on Monday, which was probably around 2.30 or 3, she, she had mentioned some perfume that she loved. So I drove from the med school up to the store where I can get this stuff. And I spent my Christmas gift from the water fields on her gift, on her birthday gift. So I used mine to buy her perfume. I think it was Eve St. Laurent, but it could have been something else. It was a 30 minute drive. I mean, so I was a little late. You know, I was trying to get home by five, and I think it was probably 5.30. Jeff arrived home around 5.30 p.m. He remembered their front door was unlocked when he entered. But as we learned later, that was not unusual for Tracy. Well, I can remember. I walked into the kitchen. She had two lobsters set out. And I said, ooh, that looks great. And um, at at this point, I, I think maybe she's at the store or something I, No, because her car would have been out in front. The TV was on and the ironing board set up. Nothing unusual stood out, but that was about to change. As Jeff called out for Tracy and got no response, he began to look for her and made his way to the bedroom, where he discovered his 21-year-old wife of five months brutally murdered. I go into our bedroom and she's, you know, she's been killed. and. You know, my whole life, my life changed. Jeff found Tracy lying face up on their bed, barefoot with a pair of blue jeans and a plaid shirt on. Her throat was slit and she had multiple stab wounds to her upper body. I busted out of the front door. I screamed, who did this? You know, I mean, you know, I was out of my mind. I screamed all the way down the street. I went, two people that I knew from my hometown in Oklahoma ran the apartment. And that was Milt and Peggy Needham. And I ran to their house and said, you need to help me. The friends that Jeff ran to for help called the police. And um, I'm sure it completely ruined their lives because they were that good at people. Anyway, I went through their house and they they called mom and dad. I guess mom and dad called Jim and Sandy. Listen, I'm not a psychologist. I don't I don't know what you do in that moment, but you shut down 
completely. So you can make it one day to the next. And that's what I did. News of the tragedy traveled quickly. I was home on Christmas break, and my dad and I, it was about five in the afternoon, I guess. My dad and I were watching TV in the living room. And um, mom was real good friends with my, um, with our basketball coach's wife, the high school basketball coach's wife. And so she was up at a tournament, you know, with her. So dad and I were just watching TV, and I heard the door open. I thought, well, mom's home, you know. Well, I turned around to look up, and I saw my uncle. It's my dad's brother, Dick Waterfield. And then um, mom's best friend, her name's Carol Reed. They were walking in. And I just, I remember looking at Carol's face. (laughs) And I, I have never... I've never seen her look like that on anybody's face. So, I mean, instantly you knew, you knew something horrible had happened. And uh, so then my my uncle came and he stood over Dad's chair and he, he told him, you know, he said, Jim, I, um, Tracy's, you know, been murdered, you know. And Dad was like, what? Yeah, I mean, I, all he could say was what? And Dick said, yeah, he, She's she's been she's been murdered and she's she's dead and and he just that was like what are are you sure I mean you know he just he couldn't he couldn't believe it and then all of a sudden he just jumped up and he just said I've got to find Sandy I've got to go kill Sandy Tracy's mom Sandy I was up at the gymnasium here with a friend we played tennis together and stuff like that and uh, we were watching the kids. There was a a game that we went to up there. It was in the afternoon, and um, he came up, and I saw him walk, coming up the steps, you know, and and I could just tell something was wrong, and I jumped up. I, I went to him, and he led me down to the the next level of the of the steps, and uh, told me. And I I remember my friend saying, he said. I heard you scream, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong. What was wrong? I don't remember. I don't remember really. It just, I just. We came home, and we took a. We had a friend that that flew us down there that night, to Oklahoma City. He flew mom and dad and I just to Oklahoma City that night. When we got there, we. I don't know, somebody must have picked us up at the airport, and we went, and Jeff um, was at the the apartments, but he was at the landlord's office, and I remember walking in, and he he had his, he was sitting down, leaning against the wall, had his hands, or his head in his hands, and and he just, he looked up, and his face was so red, <laughs> crying, and and he just he just looked at me, saw us, and he just he just said, "I'm I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't take better care of her." You know? Oh, and it just broke your heart because I just was like, "Oh," and he's the one that found her, and I know he he just it'd be so hard to get that image out of your mind. 
But once I ran down the block screaming, uh, I never went back to that apartment ever. Not, not in my entire life, actually. I had other people move my stuff out. I mean, I didn't have it. Other people, including my parents and their friends, were kind enough to move me out. Friend Tina remembers her final farewell to her childhood friend. She had an enormous funeral. Everybody was just, it was such a tragedy. And it was not, it was a tragedy that it happened to their family. It was a tragedy that happened to her. You just would never think that this would happen, you know, to any, to anybody actually. But it was just shocking because her life had been so blessed and so kissed by God that you would never think that would it would end so abruptly and so tragically in this way. It was just horrid. It was just awful. When I went over to Sandy's house, uh, Tracy's mother, um, we it, there were people everywhere. And anyway, we went in, uh, some girlfriends and I went in, and uh, she just made a beeline. <laughs> just a second. She just made a beeline to us and hugged us and comforted us. And I remember being so struck by that because her daughter had just been murdered. And yet she was comforting uh, her daughter's friends. So that just, that just shows you their heart. You know, they just have a heart for people, a love for people, and they deserve better. Sorority sister Ricky and several other college friends drove to Canadian Texas for Tracy's funeral. I do remember the funeral. It was packed. Couldn't even sit. There were so many people there. The whole town came. But I remember it was really positive. It was, it, they told stories about Tracy and it was really sweet. And they might have even read a letter that Tracy had written. Like I said, she wrote letters to her parents and probably had stuffed animals there. But it, I, I remember it was a very positive, sweet, sad funeral. And everybody was in shock. After the initial shock of Tracy's murder, the questions began to swirl. Who would have wanted to murder Tracy? I, I feel like they at first kind of insinuated she had gone to Brahms that morning and done some errands. And I felt like they really thought maybe it was somebody that followed her home. Maybe, and then maybe asked to use the phone, or it seemed like there was somebody, maybe she jumped their car off that morning, but, you know, and there was some composite drawings of of a guy that supposedly was seen outside her apartment or something. Police found no signs of forced entry, but friends say Tracy would have let anyone in that came to her door. She was just that trusting type of person. You know, they just kept saying, well, it was probably somebody she knew because the door, you know, there was no forced entry or anything. We were like, she's from a small town. <laughs> she, she probably never locked the door. College friend Kathy explains. Part of me was like, Tracy just didn't assume anything bad about anyone. So, of course, if she was in the house, she would open the door. And if someone said they needed to use the phone, you know, that was back when your only option was one line. And, of course, she would let someone in. There was, I had heard there was no visible uh, scene of struggle as far as anything being in disarray um, in the apartment. 
And I think that goes back to Tracy assuming that no one would would be putting her in that position. And she would just be wanting to help if someone came to the door and said, I need something. I can I can see her opening that door. There was also no sign of a struggle and the murder weapon was never found. According to the autopsy report, Tracy had been killed around noon and had been stabbed over 20 times. There were no signs of a sexual assault. Neighbors told the police they did not hear screams or see anyone at the apartment. However, two neighbors did report seeing an unfamiliar male in the area and each gave conflicting descriptions of this male. No one matching either description was ever discovered in connection with this case or any other in the surrounding area. And of course, husbands are always at the top of the suspect list, along with the first person to discover the body. And Jeff was both of those. They asked me some hard questions, and I knew why, and I wanted to get it over with, because hell, I knew, I knew that it wasn't me. There was never a single interview or whatever that really hit me over to being mad at anyone. I just wanted to get that done because we needed to move on and figure out who did it. So if not Jeff, then who and why? Well, here's where things get interesting. Naturally, you want to find out all the details possible about the victim's schedule on the day the crime was committed. You want to eliminate anyone who may have had the opportunity to harm Tracy. Was it someone who followed her home from the grocery store? Was it a neighbor? Was it that random stranger? Or a serial killer? Or maybe a sorority sister? We are going to cover and go over all of these angles in our next episode. So stay tuned for the second episode of the Tracy Nielsen case. Yes, and thank you for listening. And we look forward to you joining us on part two of the Tracy Nielsen case here on Dealing Justice. Like us on Facebook at Cold Case Playing Cards for all the latest information on this case and other cards we'll be featuring on future episodes. Dealing Justice is written, produced, and hosted by Jennifer Dubasak and myself, Lori Jennings. Our sound design is by John Schaub. Our executive consultant is the Cold Case Playing Cards creator, retired FDLE special agent, Tommy Ray. If you want to help us spread the word about these victims' stories, please subscribe and leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast app and tell your friends to subscribe. Thank you for listening and join us next time for part two on Dealing Justice. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.